0: Thanks for joining us at Faith Bible Chapel. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and brings you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service, find a small group, or simply find out more about the church, stop by our website at www.faith.church. This week we're going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews, and as a matter of context, let's just continue to remember, uh, it was written uh, between, uh, most likely between AD 58 and AD 64. The Christians that are addressed to this letter are former Hebrews, now believers in Jesus as their Messiah, but they're beginning to face persecution, and we know from history it's going to get worse than, than it is that where they are right now, but it's going to be more difficult, and uh, they're, they're, uh, so they were cons- some of them were thinking, well, you know what, I can just go back to the animal sacrifice and go back to what I knew, and so the, because the author understands or re- uh, has an assumption that they have a thorough knowledge of the history of the Jewish people, the, the law, the Torah, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way through uh, Judges, the, the Promised Land. He addresses them with the assumptions of those things that they're trying to go back to. So last week, uh, and, he, and he begins to tell them that the theme of this whole letter really is, revolves around this thing that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than any religion that you can go back to, any rule, any regulation, any spiritual discipline that you'd like to be part of, Jesus is better. Jesus is the only one that really can bring you true life, true help, and true hope. And so we learned last week that one of the ways to help you walk in that victory is to fix your thoughts on Jesus, to fix your thoughts on who Jesus is. Who is he? What has he done? What has he said is he's, he will do? And what is he going to do in the future? Fix your thoughts on Jesus. And we learned to take our thoughts captive, not be lazy thinkers, we're going to move forward, take our thoughts captives, renounce and reject and rebuke any idea, any meditation that has come our way or that will come our way or that we've had or held that negates God's word or confuses its application. We're going to take those thoughts captive and cast them down in the name of Jesus and let our minds dwell on what truth is and what the life of God's word is. Because this week, the author then takes us into the chapter 4 and he begins to tell us to mix with faith what we've heard from the word of God. And as I was praying for this, this uh, as you all know, this is a new position for me here at Faith Bible Chapel, uh, coming on staff as one of your uh, pastors, and I am uh, experiencing uh, something that I'm, I'm, not, I'm unable to really articulate, which is unusual for me because I've got a lot of words normally, but there is a growing, uh, empathetic, compassionate love in my heart for you. And I don't know where that comes from. I mean, I know where it comes from. It comes from God. But I've never experienced this before. Uh, Pastor Jason and I have talked a little bit about it. He has it. I mean, this, he cares deeply for every one of you. And you say, well, how can that be? It's just something that God has put on his heart. He, we pray for you. He prays for you. He cares about what's going on. He's intent on bringing words of life, messages that will help us move into the victory that Jesus has if, he could, if we could just like wave a magic wand and everybody walk in victory and have everything from God, that we, could, we would go <laughs> I, I don't understand why it doesn't do it, but there's something growing in me and it's just, it's, it's, for me, it's, it's incredibly unusual. I've not experienced that before and I've been walking with the Lord for some 40 years now, thank God. And so we understand that when we separate time to come together and worship to Jesus, we, it's really a great thing to set aside some time and worship Jesus, to do what you just did, to thank Jesus for all that he is and all that he's done. Just to take some time out and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're going to do. That is never a bad thing to do. I would encourage you to do it frequently. Thank you, Jesus, for indwelling us with your Holy Spirit that the spirit of God actually lives in us. The Bible says that our bodies are a temple for the Holy (laughs) Spirit. God's spirit lives in you. And he did that because he loves you and he wants you to have what he has. Thank you, God, for opening our hearts to your word so that we could come in. And we gather to hear the instruction of the word and how to live our life in victory that God has given to us. And there's a concern and a care as we try to prepare for those messages to be life-giving. We want this not to be a religious rule, just kind of like a nice little religious talk. where you None of us are interested in that. What we want is to give you something that's meaty, that's full, that's truthful, that's practical. Something that you could take and you can implement in your life so that you could step into the victory that God has called you to. Because Jesus loves you. And as Pastor Jason said over and over, we are not meant to walk this journey alone. We are meant to walk it together because we are better together. Each one of us have the abilities and gifts and talents and callings of God to be a unique witness for Jesus to the world. And so it's our sincere prayer that as we come together on, a, on, on every week basis, and then during the time of the week when we gather, because real church happens in between Sundays. This is just kind of like a semi-rah-rah session and, and a, and a giddy-up-and-get-going thing. But real church work happens Monday through Saturday. This is just a time for reflection, a time of worship, because we want you to encounter, we want us to encounter the powerful presence of Jesus. Because then we would do, like the song says, when Jesus steps in, everything changes. I have this sense that if Jesus were to, to, to manifest himself through these walls, all care, all care, concern, anxiety would just fall down. And we would know that we know that we know that it's gonna be okay, that it's gonna be okay. That whatever we're going through, it's gonna be okay. And Jesus then wants you to take that okay and take it to the world that you influence. Because every one of you are influencers for Jesus. The way you speak, the way you act, the things you do, the people that you have influence over. Influence is just influence. I mean, you can influence somebody to have a hamburger or buffalo wings. I'll take wings, but, you know, we all have different ways that we get to to influence people. And that's what he wants you to do. So... As we come then to Hebrews 4, we start out with Hebrews 4, 1 opens up with, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to them, as to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now remember last week we talked about Whenever there's a therefore, you want to know what the therefore is there for, right? So good, you guys are Bible students, right? You're getting a Bible study degree, right? So we go to, where's the therefore? The therefore is back in, in Hebrews 13, 3, 3, verses 16. So uh, the writer is saying, for those who have heard, for who having heard the children of Israel walking through the wilderness rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Didn't they hear the word of God? Didn't they see on Mount Sinai the 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 rumblings and the lightnings and stuff like that? Didn't they hear that? Now, with whom was God angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? He was angry with the children of Israel because why? He swore that they would not enter His rest, but to those who to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter into rest because of unbelief. Unbelief is the cause of all sorts of trouble. Unbelief will remove you from the presence of God. It will remove you from the promise of God and it'll remove the activity of God in our lives. And so therefore, don't you feel greatly condemned right now? That's a great message, John. Keep going, you know. You want to deal with this up front so you can deal with it in a life-giving way in a minute because what unbelief does is it does hinder God. If anything hinders God, I think the Scriptures will declare that unbelief does it. We have that testimony of when Jesus went back to Nazareth and he marveled at their unbelief and then he said he could only heal a few people. So here's what's cool about that. Unbelief hindered Jesus except for a few people. Unbelief will hinder God, but it won't stop him because God is merciful and gracious and kind, and he will not allow the immaturity of our unbelief to hinder what he's trying to do in our lives to bring us into a life of faith. Amen? That's a good thing. So they did not fix, the children of Israel did not fix their thoughts on Jesus, were the ones who did not believe the promise of God, and therefore they did not enter into the rest that God has for them. So, chapter four begins with the promise that there was a promise of entering into his rest. But he goes on to say, Be alarmed, be fearful, be f- that we do not come short of entering that rest. Be alarmed, be consciously aware that God has a rest for you, but be in- intentional of entering into that rest. The children of Israel had good news preached to them that they were delivered from sin, from the bondage of slavery, and they were coming into a relationship with God for the rest of their lives, for all eternity. And yet they did not believe God's word because they didn't mix it with faith. They heard the word, but didn't mix it with faith. And so therefore they lost the rest that God had for them. And so, brothers and sisters, be mindful that we are presented with the same opportunity that the children of Israel did, an opportunity of entering into rest with God. And we do this by mixing what we hear from God with faith. They missed it because they didn't mix it. Let us not miss it by mixing it with faith. Let us, when we hear from God, let us mix it with faith. So first point, let us understand what God's definition of rest is. Let us understand what God's definition of rest is. The the people, the, the letter was written to a group, to the Hebrews that were facing significant pressure to turn away from Jesus to return to the old religious experiences of rules and regulations. Doug Newcomb has taught me that religion is easy, and I love that, because it's true. Religion is easy because religion doesn't require relationship. Religion just requires following a rule, following a regulation, and it doesn't mess around with the messiness of relationships. Relationships are hard. Religion is easy. But what God was, what the writer of Hebrews was trying to say to them is, don't fall back into just rule and regulation, because rule and re- regulation does not foster relationship with God. It just fosters an obedient or disobedient, and thus the fruit or the consequence of obedience or disobedience. God wants more for us than just rule and regulation. He wants a relationship. God created the Bible says very the very beginning of the book, He created you in his image and likeness for fellowship. And When the fellowship broke down, the first thing he did in chapter three, Genesis three, is he set about a plan to bring you all back, to bring all of us back, to back into a relationship. So from Genesis three all the way to the end of the book, all the way through the revelation, it's the whole story of God's plan of redemption for us to enter into relationship. So when we enter into that relationship with Jesus, we enter into a rest, a calmness, of faith rest, of ceasing from striving, of ceasing from work, of ceasing from the burden and the stress of trying to obtain something that is actually wanting to be given to us. And therefore, when you hear the word faith, what I'd love for you to kind of coin with that or next to it, marry it together, is faith rest. God has a faith rest for you. When you are operating in faith, there is a rest that comes in with it. It doesn't mean there's not work to do. There's no, doesn't mean things to do. doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult, but there's a rest, a, a rest in your soul that you know that it's going to be okay because you're with God. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, mix what you've heard with God with faith, because that rest will give you the ability to endure any hardship and any difficulty with a settled confidence, free from stress, that it's going to be awful That voice in the back of your head that says it's going to be awful, that God won't do what he said he will do, that's a lie. Because the devil's a liar, and when he speaks, he speaks from his own nature. That's what Jesus said. And remember last week, we talked about taking our thoughts captive and saying, in the name of Jesus, I renounce, I reject, and I rebuke every thought, every idea, every meditation I've had, held, or comes my way that negates your word or confuses its application. Did Jesus say, I will give you rest Yes, okay, then let me enter into that rest. How do we do that? We're gonna see if we can get some of that a little bit there. Faith is the word, the word faith in in the Greek is pistis. It means assurance, persuasion, conviction. Faith is a confident trust. Faith is a confident trust. It's an assurance, it's a persuasion. You've been persuaded and that persuasion has given you a settled conviction confidence that this is the way it is. It is this way. This is the way it is. I will not move from that because faith is that assurance. It's just a a settled assurance. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's like love. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not proud. It's not puffed up. It doesn't insist on its own way because faith is settled. It's just a calmness, a settledness that brings rest. So, Where do we get this faith? Because we all wanna know, where do we get this faith? And I don't know if you're like me, but I've spent a lot of years condemned that I'm not walking in faith, because obviously, if you were walking in faith, this whole thing would be different, and the way you're operating would be different, and the the consequences of your life would have been different if you'd only done it in faith. (laughs) And like anything else from the devil, there's enough truth in that to make me really feel bad. But it's still a lie. And so we want to call out the devil for the lie and say, Oh, wait a minute, let me take that thought captive and cast it down in the name of Jesus and lift up what God says. So how do you how do you obtain faith? Well, you give ten thousand (laughs) dollars, you walk over fiery coal, you flail yourself, you repent in dust and ashes. Of course, there's no Bible that says that, so I guess you could try that, but I don't think it'll work, right? So what does the Word say? Where do you get faith? Romans 10, 17. We t- touched on it a little bit last week, but this is great. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And honestly, if, this, if I could give this to you, I'm learning this, I'm walking in this, it's a, it's a brand new joyful experience with God, but if I could give this to you, I just you could take this and walk with this and, 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 and walk away with this is that faith comes. It will come. If you will spend time in God's word, listening to it, reading it, meditating on it, hanging out with it, going to Bible studies, uh, do, those are the do stuff. But if you'll let the word of God become part of your life's walk, your daily life walk, faith will come. The Holy Spirit will put things into you that will give you a rest an assurance, a confidence, a conviction that nothing else will ever do. Not giving $10,000, not du- repenting in dust and sackcloth and ashes. None of that will give you what the faith that comes from God's Word will give you. So the encouragement is to spend time in God's Word. And then also to recognize in Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So where does faith come from? It comes from the Word. It comes from the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We know in John it says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh. Jesus is the word. And here it says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus has written a book. It's an awesome book. And on the cover of that incredibly leather-bound book is your name. And it says, for me, it says Jim Marsh Faith Walk. And I get to open a book, and I get to look. Now, what I see is 44, five, 43 chapters of failure. And every now and then, a little victory. And what Jesus sees is there's no failure that. You're on a journey. You're on a journey of faith. I have written that because at the very end of the book, if you'll cheat and you go all the way back and look at the book, it says, "Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come in and see in the Lamb's book of life, your name is written there." Yay! And the devil wants me to focus on my failures and my inability to walk out what God has called me to do, and what God says, "Okay, I, you, I knew that. I wasn't surprised." God is never up there sitting on a throne when something happens in our life. He's never up there going, oh myself, look what he did this time. What are we gonna do? He's not surprised. I think he's kind of up there going, huh? Oh. And Jesus goes, huh? And Holy Spirit goes, ha, ha, ha. He did it again. And they still, they still minister to me. They minister life. He's the one who births faith in us. Jesus is going to give you the faith you need, the trust, the assurance, the conviction. And we can trust the word that confirms that Jesus has written our story. It says it right here. You can trust the fact that when you hear the word of God confirming that he's the one we look to, that you will receive faith. You will receive a rest. You will receive a confidence from Jesus because you're walking with Jesus as we walk with him, we grow with him, we mature in him. The Bible says in in, in Proverbs that the path of a man's life spirals upward. And the way I, I mean, in my picture, I see that spiraling staircase, you know, those spiraling staircases that goes up. And on step 43, I have an experience with God and I have some victory because God knows on step 83, I need this to prepare me for that. And as I continue to walk with him, there's a f- further revelation of who he is and what he is, and I find a trust and a confidence being demonstrated. So that when I get there, I'm able to do whatever this is. But my flesh says, "Oh, this is awful! I can't do this. What's going on?" Ah! And he says, "No, no, 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 no. What have I done for you? Remember, call to mind those things that have already you've already successfully uh, uh, walked through." because you need to pass this test, 83, because man, if I told you it was going to happen 107, you'd faint. (laughs) Because it's a a progressive walk, a progressive revelation with Jesus. And so we know that faith will come and will come into our lives. So we do want to address the shame that some of us feel by not fulfilling the faith walk. I mean, we turn around and we look at everybody else and man, that person is a person of faith and they're doing a great job and I wish I could just be just like him. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be just like him. I want you to be like me. I want to be like Jesus. And I'll walk you through that so that you can become, but don't become like him. Are you kidding? Have you seen the failures in his Facebook? Ooh, no way. Nah, don't do that. Do that. Do it better. Because I have a walk for you that's going to be great. So the Bible says in Romans 8.1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So recognize that when you hear that condemning voice, that always speaks in abstract and it's like fog or slippery, greasy things. You can hear the voice of condemnation when it says like, well, you're not very faithful. Okay. In what area? Oh, just all of them, generally, just overall. No, okay. I, I think you're probably right. I haven't really done it right. But where did I miss it? Why, you just missed all of it. Well, okay, but give me a specific. What? No, you're just a creep. That's condemnation. Now, if you'd really missed something, the Holy Spirit would say something like that. Jim, I wanted you to trust me in that. And you didn't. I forgive you. Let's move forward. Got it. Hurts? Yeah. Godly uh, conviction produces repentance, is what the Bible says. But it's specific and I know what to do with it. I know where to go because it brings me to Jesus, not away from Jesus. And so they'll, and so we see in the, in, the, in the scriptures an example of how Jesus deals with what supposed failure of faith is. And in Luke 22, Jesus is talking to Simon and Simon Peter just made this big declaration forever. If you've done it, I'll die with you. I'm going to kill everybody. going to go. And Jesus said, oh, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked that, you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And we know from the scriptures, a few short hours, Peter had this epic meltdown and failure to a servant girl. And the scriptures also say, I think it's in Luke, that when the, the last time that Jesus cursed and said, I don't know who Jesus is, the Bible says Jesus turned and looked at him. And Peter turned and looked at Jesus right in the eye. And I used to think that Jesus was like this. Uh, I don't believe that anymore. I believe what Jesus turned and looked at him and said, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. He went out, repented, wept bitterly, and then Jesus restored him. And according to Jesus, his faith did not fail. According to Peter, his faith failed, but not according to Jesus. So my brothers and sisters, don't let the devil steal from you your victories, even in what you think or we think is a failure, because that's not the way Jesus sees us. We are not a failure in Jesus. Amen? So therefore, in Hebrews 7, it says that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he, Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. Again, these pictures I get in my head. Like I see the Father on the throne. So the Father's here, Jesus is here, and Holy Spirit's over here. And Jesus is going... Help the boy, oh God, help the boy. Father, help the girl. She, they need help. And father looks down and says, oh, they sure do. And he goes, Holy Spirit, sick them." <laughs> and then you're struggling, doing something like that, and you was going, Phew. oh, I can do this. Because you have a fresh encounter with God's spirit, and you're able to overcome whatever trial, whatever difficulty you're walking in, because Jesus is praying for you. Now, the prayer team loves you. They love God. They want to pray with you. And some of, some of us, are, some of them, are incredibly powerful pe- prayer people. They can pray you know, the bark off a tree sometimes. It's, it's awesome what they can do. But I tell you what, <laughs> none of us pray like Jesus prays. And if you got Jesus praying for you, you got a pretty good ally praying for you. Isn't that right? So understand that what Jesus is doing is he's praying for us that we might become like him and walk into victory because God knows our frame. He knows what's going on in our lives. He knows what we're walking through. He's not surprised. He's not. He doesn't, it doesn't move him from his, his place of mercy and grace. God has made provision for every one of us to walk this journey of faith in a confident, restful manner so that we can become the men and women of God he's called us to be and we can and, and have victory in the lives that we touch. An example of the face rest that you can look through is, is, is in Abraham. Okay, the scripture says that Abraham was the father of faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. And so God said to Abraham one time, he says, okay, Abram, I'm going to change your name to a father of many nations. So from this point forward, I want you to be named Abraham. And he, so Abram, Abram goes to church one day and he says, uh, I've heard from God. I'm going to testify that God has said that my name is no longer Abram. You're all to call me Abraham. I'm going to be a father of many nations. And all the little kids in the audience went, <laughs> he doesn't have any kids. Yeah, you're the father of many nations. So what did he say? The father said to him, look at all the stars. If you can count them, that's how many you're gonna have. Count the grains of the sand, that's how many descendants you're gonna have. And he's going, whoa, awesome. Because he mixed what he heard from God with faith and he trusted God. And he began to testify in church every Sunday, I'm gonna have a son. I'm gonna have a son, I'm gonna have a son. Five years later, I'd like to testify. <sighs> he's gonna say he's gonna have a son. He says, I'm gonna have a son. 10 years later, I'd like to testify. Oh, you gotta be kidding, he's gonna do it again. I'm gonna have a son, my name is Abraham. 15, 20 years later, hey, let me, let me testify. Are you kidding me. I'm going to have a son. I'm the father of many nations. No, you're not. you got no kids and the one you have is not supposed to be yours. No, you're not. So we get to see in Romans how this story unfolded. So in Romans 4.19, it says, now not being weak in faith, Abraham did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Abraham mixed with faith what he'd heard God promise. What he didn't do is, number one, Abraham did not ignore the facts on the ground. Faith does not ignore the facts on the ground. The facts were, he was almost 100 years old and he didn't have a kid. And his name was Abraham, the father of many nations. And he'd been waiting 25 years and testifying for 25 years that God was going to give him a son. And he was convinced that God's word was true. He didn't ignore the facts on the ground, and he, but he did filter it through the promise of God. He looked the, fact, the facts on the ground straight in the eye. And he said, I'm 99 years old, my body is dead. Even if I wanted to perform the act of marriage that would impl- implant the seed, it ain't working no more. It's not happening. If I had a wife who had a womb that we could implant, that would be great, but I don't. She's gone past childbearing. Sarah's womb is dead. It's not gonna happen. Those were the facts. They were the facts. No denying that. But he mixed what he'd heard from God with faith, being fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to perform. He had a settled, confident trust in God. The circumstances revealed by our senses are real, They're just not final. My brothers and sisters, whatever you're facing, I don't know what it is, but I know we're all facing stuff, physical, emotional, financial, relational challenges, spiritual challenges. We're facing stuff. And what I would encourage you to do is be honest between you and God with the reality of what that is. If your relationship with your spouse is breaking down, be honest and begin to tell the Lord, it's breaking down, what do I do? And the Spirit of God will direct you into a place of life-givingness, because that's who He is and how He is. If you're facing a physical challenge, uh, a sickness, an illness, look Him straight in the eye and say, "Father, the the diagnosis is this, and it's real. It's just real. Now, what do I do? How do I move forward? What would You have me step into? What is Your promise to me?" And then, when you hear that, you can step into it. Remember, last week we talked a little bit about, you know, doing the cleansing breath. Father, what would you have me know to today? If I could give that to you, I would just encourage you all to do that. Spend some time. Take a couple cleansing breaths. <sighs> Relax your body. I found myself the other day doing that, and after the third breath, I realized that my right hand was clenched like this. It was just and it was almost, I kind of looked at it and went, huh, that's interesting. And then I unleashed it. Whew. Okay. That's where faith comes from, when you hear God's word. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. The Bible's the Bible so- is, is the source for it. But what God will do is he'll take that Bible and he'll quicken something in it to give you the ability to say, ah, that's what's for me. This is what's mine. This is the promise of God for me. And then you can step right into it. Because then you have a settled conviction that's restful, not arrogant, not proud, not rude, but confident that God has just spoken to you and this is the way it's going to be. Even in the face of circumstantial evidence that negates God's word, Abraham decided to, to trust God's ability to keep his word to him. And we know the rest of the story. He got a son. I mean, that would kind of been a an, kind of an incredible thing to happen after so many years. Abraham walking up to his wife and say, "Honey, uh, hey, babe," <laughs> and a year later they had a child. Awesome. God's word was true to them because He is faithful. Hebrews four three to five says that for we who have believed do enter that rest. We who have believed enter into the rest. He had sworn in his wrath to the children of Israel that they shall not enter my rest because they did not believe. But the example was that when God created the heavens and the earth, on the seventh day he rested, and therefore, when he wants us to operate the way he does, he wants us to operate in a rest that is faith-filled. Therefore, faith in a rest. Believing God ushers us into the experience of the same rest that God enjoyed when he finished creating the world. Hebrews 4, 6 says, There therefore remains that some must enter it. To those he preached, they didn't enter it because of disobedience. And then again, a certain day it says that David said today, after such a long time as it was said, if you will hear his voice, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. A key to walking in faith is to walk with a lifestyle of of obedience. A lifestyle of obedience to the word of God, the plan of God, the will of God for our lives Positions us to hear the word, to hear the voice of God today. God is a today God. He speaks to you today. He has a word of faith, a word of exhortation, a word of comfort for you today. And it's not going to be for tomorrow. It's going to be for today. And you can revel in what you heard yesterday, and it might carry you through to today, but it won't really carry you through to tomorrow because God has a word today and that word will grant you the courage, the grace to obey what he's asked you to do. If you're having some relational issues, God may say something to you like, okay, today, go humble yourself. Humble yourself before that person and say, please forgive me. I am sorry. Yeah, but that's what you do if you're right there. Okay, if you want to walk in disobedience and walk in a strained relationship... God will step back and he'll wait. And then when it gets hard enough again, he'll say, okay. Because he won't abandon us. He doesn't abandon us to our defeats. He waits, he comforts, he encourages, he extols, and he says, come, come to me. When we hear the voice of God, we hear the word of God that then faith comes. Faith comes. You guys, we all are gonna be walking in a new faith walk that's gonna be awesome It's going to be awesome in our lives, and it's going to be awesome in the lives that we influence because people are going to see us change. They're going to see us walk in a love, a calmness, a peace, that is going to be envious to them. And they're going to say, what do you have? And you'll look them straight in the eye and say, Jesus. Yeah? Yeah, I have Jesus, and he would like you to know him too. That's what he's called us to do. It says in 8.10, Joshua had given them rest. They would not have afterward needed more rest. So the idea was that they had entered into the promised land. The thought behind their religious ideas, would, since they entered the promised land, they've entered their rest. He said, no, no, no. The writer is saying, don't be deceived about traditions, religious traditions. Since Joshua led the people of Israel to the promised land, he allowed the people of Israel to stop wandering. That's not true. God is speaking of a rest that allows us to stop the striving In trying to obtain God's approval by the works of our own efforts, you cannot pull yourself up by the American bootstraps and work out faith. So I've got the faith that I need to do this. And we all are under the pressure that you somehow got to go do this stuff to get the faith so you can work through it. That's not the Bible. That's not what God says. God says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And when you get that faith, there is a rest. There is a confident conviction that you're able to go through whatever it is you're going to face. And those are difficult. Do not let me diminish what you're going through. Those are hard. But God would not have you walk them alone. He wants to walk with you with a faith, a trust, a confidence in him to fulfill his promise to you. And that's what God is trying to say. So then, that rest comes by faith and faith alone. The rest that we receive from God comes by faith and faith alone. And then he goes on to say, it says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience, the way they fell. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom he must give an account. My religious tradition taught me that I was a mess up from the beginning, I'm going to be a mess up at the end, and it's only by the good, great goodness of God that I'm not a mess up. There's some truth to that, but what the devil does is he takes it and sends it to the extreme. When I used to read this part here that says that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even division of soul, spirit, joints, and marrow, I used to think that what God was doing is He's gonna rip apart the flesh in me. And it was gonna be painful and hard and icky and ugly. And as I'm growing in the Lord and learning more about who Jesus is, I have this whole new understanding of what this is. This is the word of God that is a sharp sword that splits through the issues of life and says, no, my son, I love you. I'm going to take that doubt and unbelief and remove it from you. I'm going to show you my goodness and mercy. No, son, I'm not going to leave you to the effects of your own failure. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to renew you. I'm going to restore you because I want you to be just like Jesus. And he removes it, and he throws it away. Jesus said, the Bible says that Jesus takes our sin and throws it as far as east is from west, and he remembers it no more. The devil's always one bringing it back up, trying to tell you what that was wrong, but Jesus chooses to remember it no more. The word of God is sharper. It will divide and split and remove those things that hinder faith from becoming active in our lives so that we can step into that rest, that confident assurance that what he says to me is true, and I can believe him, and I can walk in it. And so he says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest any fail. So if we're going to do anything, let's be diligent in seeking after the rest of God, seeking after the word of God, thinking after the presence of God. Asking Jesus to manifest his presence in our life. Asking the Holy Spirit to open our eyes that we might see. Praying the prayers that Paul prayed in Ephesians where he says, that I pray that, the, that, you, that God would grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus that you might know him better. That you might know Jesus better. Because it is a progressive revelation of just how great he is and how wonderful he is towards you. He is wonderful towards you. He's not looking in our head at our lives and going, tick, 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 tick. he doesn't do that. That's not the word. The word doesn't say that. The word says, come, come to me. And so seeing, in Hebrews 4, 16, it says, seeing that we have a high, great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So the writers, the the readers of this letter hold fast to your confession that we see the high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus stepped into our lives. He stepped into our temptations. He was tempted to lie. He was tempted to cheat. He was tempted to steal. He was tempted to to skirt. He was hurt by the, sh- by, by the disappointment. He was hurt by the rejection. He experienced everything we experienced yet without sin so that when we come to him, he can truthfully say to you, my brother, my sister, I get it. I know how you feel. I can empathize with what you're going through. Let me help you. Let me walk with you through this, through the shadow of death, so that you will fear no evil, for I am with you, says the Lord. I will walk with you all the way through. Do not be ashamed. Do not be afraid. Be honest with what's going on in your life so that I can come in and help you step into the fullness of God. And then the way I see it, it says here that... Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And here's how I see it. Throne room of heaven, Father standing here, Jesus, Holy Spirit. And there's hundreds of thousands of millions of people, right? It's a big throne room. In the very back, the doors are closed because there's a great worship time. And all of a sudden, the back doors open up. <coughs> and that light from the foyer comes shafting in. And everybody goes... Who's that? And the father looks, and Jesus says, it's her. It's him. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, I drew them, and they're coming in. And the father says, my son, my daughter, come on. Come on in. Come all the way, all the way to the front. Come in and let me pour out my mercy upon you, so that you have the grace you need to succeed in the trial you're enduring. Come, and as they come forward, I hear this: "It's awesome!" And all those people that have come before you are applauding your entrance into the kingdom of heaven, into the presence of God. And you come and you open your hands and your eyes and say, oh God, help me. And the Holy Spirit goes. And you open your eyes and you're different. Maybe your circumstance hasn't changed, but you're different. You know that you know that you know. It's gonna be okay. I'm gonna hear what to do, and I'm gonna do what he tells me to do by his strength in me, it's called grace. I'm gonna do it, and God is my source, and I will mix everything I have hear from God with faith, with a trust, with a confidence that he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he'll do, and I will step into that and be that witness he's called me to be, amen? We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, check our website at www.faith.church.